Spooky, Scary, Skeptical contains explicit content and topics that some listeners may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone! I'm Emily. I'm Libby. And I'm Ken. And this is... Spooky, Scary, Skeptical. sound like a children's show host mm, it was and terrifying. this is spooky scary skeptical <laughs> i don't know okay guys i have to tell you okay we have so much to talk about i'm sure but this needs to be said before we even do anything talk about anything because i just need to get it out of out on the world i'm in a weird mood i have spent so much fucking time on this subject and it's going to be a part one and a part two in this episode it is fucking rough okay and i need some good in my life so Let's get it out We're in there. a weird mood. Can't wait. You guys can't judge me for it. And you guys will understand why. Will we? As we go. But how are you guys doing for now? Delightful. Are you prepared for today's episode? No. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever prepared for your episodes. Thank you. True. Thank you so much. You guys. Speaking of Libby, first of all, how are you? Pretty good. Thank you. That's not you. what you wanted. You wanted to dive into the Libyism. I do. Oh my gosh, we're starting so early. <laughs> we are jumping. Listen, <gasps> I'm in charge of this list, so I get to make the rules. We're jumping the line to one that was recently said that I freaking no, love. No, no. It's order. What? You got to go in order. You're not no. going to remember which ones you've already said or not. But I'm going in order. I literally. Mm. Oh, you moved it up in order? Fine. Oh, did you reorganize the list? Maybe. Oh, well, that's, that's okay. Fine. That's if okay. It, as long as it's in order. Excellent. And you don't like jump ahead yeah. and then we have no, to. No, no, no. I put it up here. Oh, so okay, 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 okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Because we have to. Because I, I don't funny. I don't know what it is. Is it? You said I said it recently. Mm-hmm. No clue. Okay. You're gonna remember it instantly. <laughs> Ken's Ken's line was actually the kicker. So, <laughs> Libby. Describes the type of bodies of water we all are. <laughs> and she said, Ken is like a still lake in the morning. She said, I was a lagoon. And Libby thinks that she's an ocean, beautiful, but tumultuous. <laughs> Ken. I know exactly what you're I like said. a kiddie pool if someone dropped a large rock in it. <laughs> it was very amusing. <laughs> um, ouch. I am an ocean. Specific, at least. <laughs> specific. Very specific ocean. With a kiddie pool in the ocean. <laughs> <gasps> yes. I'm a kiddie pool in the ocean, floating in the ocean. And the rock is your Wilson. Wilson! Yes. Shut up, Spalding. This is very funny. I love this. <laughs> yeah, and I stand by what I said. I stand by what I said. Wrong! <laughs> yep. No, I second it. <laughs> no, I, I was describing, I don't remember why it came up, but I was describing how chill their energies are because Ken's got a very peaceful, calm, level-headed energy. Emily's got a very um, compassionate, easy, but also I would like to say, ooh, it's haunted. I would like to say, <gasps> stick around for the end of this episode because no. there's some really fun bloopers at the end because Ken had to get up and walk away. No, what I was saying was Emily is like a blue lagoon because she is compassionate and has a very calm, so nice of you easygoing say. energy. And Ken is also level-headed and very calm. I, on the other hand- Talk about I in a blue lagoon. <laughs> Okay, that's my point. That's and so nice. I am like the ocean. I am dangerous. Tumultuous. 
ocean's kind of weird too. So you know, the ocean is weird, like me. Weird. Can you imagine? Is it the as weird as a kiddie pool? <laughs> With in a rock ocean. thrown in the middle of it? No, I'm the I'm a kiddie pool floating. I'm floating in a kiddie pool oh in the middle God. of the ocean. Wow, that's such a good. No, no, you can't be floating in a kiddie pool. You you are the kiddie pool. In that's the, the whole point is you're the body of what? In the ocean? Why? I want to be in the ocean. <laughs> you want to be in the ocean? I am part ocean. Hmm. I don't see it. Bees in the trap. Bees. Do you bees know that's in the trap by Nicki Minaj? Stay tuned Did for the see? end of our yeah. episode to hear what the fuck Emily's talking about. But now it's going to be stuck in my head this whole episode. So Samuel L. Jackson, there's a clip of him singing who's, it. Who's that? You know who Samuel L. Do you know what I always think about with Samuel L. Jackson? Um, I always think of Ted 2 when her name is Sam L. Jackson. Yeah. Remember? And they were like, oh, she looks like Gollum. Amanda Seyfried. Samuel L. Jackson, the face of Capital One. He was also the head guy on He's uh, lying. Cap- he knows who oh. Samuel <laughs> What? <laughs> like, <laughs> done. No. More I, I love how your lead was Capital One, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> what about that movie? Like, any of the movies from Marvel, like, every Marvel movie ever. It's pretty good in those Because Capital One, I think of Jennifer Garner. Oh, I think of Taylor Swift. Okay. Remember the episode of them all in the elevator? It's all the different versions of her? No. Oh, it's no. cute. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> no, we'll find out at the end. Okay. You'll I get just, to know You have the it. same face when you're lying to me as when you're not lying to me. You have an excellent poker face. Mm. Like, they look the same. Tell me tell me a fact. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell me a fact or, or a lie. and I'll just Two truths and a lie, Ken. Ready, set, go. Ooh, go. Okay, well... There's a lot of preparation that goes into these. All right, you can do it at the end, but I'll be... No, 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 because I need I need some focus. Okay. To help if you have background music. Bitches ain't shit, and they ain't saying nothing. Stop singing this song! It's going to be sick of my head. A hundred motherfuckers can't tell me nothing. I'm going to tell you something. Let me tell you. He's in the truck. I'm done. You're done singing it. You're done. You're done. Fine. I've heard what I needed to hear. See what I need to see? He's cooking up a good one. I'm trying, I'm trying to think. Truths are sometimes harder. Sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. Ooh, just close your eyes and tell her guess what your color your eyeballs are. She has no clue. <laughs> I know Ken's You remember color. that yeah, one time? I know. You remember that one what time? What are they, Abby? Brown. <laughs> That's because <laughs> she just looked. Um, no, I, I did know they were brown. Do you remember that one time? No. You thought my eyes were green? Listen, Ipsy wanted to know, and I was rushed, and I had to pick a color. You could have looked at any picture of me ever! To be fair, sometimes they do have a greenish tint. Nope. Nope. They're like blue. Look, look up there. Or gray. Look up there. The only acceptable time they thing I will say other than blue is gray. They look greenish right now. I, they're not green. Ken, do my eyes look green? No. <laughs> All right, ready? Ready, Emily? Yes. Emily? I'm Libby. I, like, you can't look at Libby, because I know Libby. Libby's okay, I'm there. covering my face. Okay. When I was younger, I almost lost my finger. Okay, you do have to make eye contact when you tell me these. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't. I, we're making up rules as we go along, I see. Okay. When I was younger, I almost lost my finger. Right. When I was a teenager, I was in a boating accident in the middle of a lake. Okay. And then in fifth grade, I won my city's spelling bee. Which Two one's the lie? lie? Two truths and a lie. The last one's a lie. I know you can't. I think you're like me. I don't think spelling is our strong. <laughs> Wait, are you a good speller? 
You did win a spelling bee, though. I did. But not the city not spelling bee. Not the city bee. spelling bee. None, oh. none of them are true. I was going to say. Yeah, no. <laughs> what did you None pick? of them are true. I know. As soon as you started, I was like, there's either stories but I But you guessed, like, the, the most, the closest to the truth. Yes. I just seem to recall. You, one of you saying, yeah, I'm not a good speller. I'm not a good speller, but if they give me a list and tell me to study it, I'll be like, okay. Yeah. Huh. Neither of you can spell. Oh. <laughs> the best, my favorite is like when we, so we have our own group meet for our podcast stuff. And Emily will like, if one of us writes a description for something, <laughs> like almost all of Emily's words, <laughs> like there's always something that's misspelled. <laughs> and we're like, huh. Okay, to be fair... Interesting choice! Google, whatever it is that we use, I don't think it has a spell check feature. Group me? That's the one. Uh, It does. It always marks my hashtags wrong. Okay, if the hashtag is in a deep blue or whatever, and the background is black, how can I read it? What? I have no idea What are you talking about? What color is the underline squiggle? Red! No. Yeah, I would see that. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Really? Yeah. Well, Do you want me to prove it to yeah, you? Like, I, mean, I can type something. Let's see how thick this line is, because... <laughs> She's like, I need it three times thicker, group me. She writes a letter. All right, so I'm just going to do, like, hashtag spooky pod, because that's the one I use all the time. That's a pretty thick red line, isn't it? I mean, you must have recently updated the app, or I haven't. Oh, you know what? It doesn't do it on mine. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Well, well maybe maybe because it's capitalized. It's... Or it's because we have Samsung oh, mine and iPhone. Yeah, no. Interesting. Let the record show Emily was right. Uh, I want to revel in this moment. I'm just trying to soak it in. Okay. Okay, we can move on now. All right. I'm, I'm happy with the outcome. Excellent. <laughs> Great. Uh, guys... I have to cover this topic. It's going to be a long episode. Fair warning. Okay. There's a part one, and there's going to be a part two. I'm, this is tough, and I have a little spiel I'm going to say before we get started. Oh, no. Lipping her spiels. I always have spiels. So, trigger warning. I know that we always talk, we always give a trigger warning at the beginning of all of our episodes and listener discretion, but seriously, this story discusses torture, suicide, murder, and abuse. Well, I'm out. You guys actually have to sit through it, so sorry. Actually, you guys could leave and I could just talk to the room myself. (laughs) Though we have a listener discretion at the beginning of every episode, this case is particularly tough. I debated whether or not to tell the full story or leave details up to the imagination or for our listeners to research on their own, but I decided to share the truth. So listener discretion is seriously advised. We do not blame anyone who needs to skip this these two episodes. That being said, are you guys ready? Well, I thought I was. Yeah. So we're going to talk about, I'm going to give you some character names and then we will jump into the story. So I'm going to tell you guys, you guys are going to hear all these names many, many times, but I'm just going to tell you who they are. So the first person we're going to talk about is Nikki Notek, and she is the oldest of three girls. Nikki followed by Sammy as the middle daughter, and Tori is the youngest. Shane Watson is their cousin, who is like a brother to them. There's also Kathy Loreno and Ron Woodworth. Then we're going to also talk about Laura Watson, and there's an asterisk there. Laura is not actually her real name. It's a pseudonym to conceal her identity. She is Nikki, Sammy, Tori, and Shane's grandmother. Laura is. And then there's Dave Notek, who is 
Nikki and Sammy's stepfather and Tori's father. And then there is... So the three sisters have different fathers? All three have different fathers, yep. Okay. And then there is Michelle, or Shelly, Lynn, Watson, Rivardo, Long, Notech. That was one name. Can you do that once more? Sorry. Michelle, Shelly, Lynn is her middle name, Watson, Rivardo, Long, Notech. So she got married three times with each of the fathers and hyphenated each time? Apparently. Okay. Yep. So I'm going to show you a picture of Dave and Shelly. So those are the two parents. Dave is the girl's stepfather, and but Tori's father, mm-hmm. the youngest father. So here is Shelly and Dave. They look very normal. Yes. He looks fishy. Okay. I have to ask, I guess, do you guys know anything about what we're going to talk clue. about today? Other than some of the little... I, I, you guys both, I'll admit to the crew too. Usually I don't tell them anything about the stories that I cover, but I've definitely revealed a few items to you guys because it's been a really tough case and I had to get it out of my system sometimes. So I told you guys each a little bit, but now we're going to, sh- I'm going to show you this picture of Shane, Nikki, Sammy, and Corey. So Shane's the cousin. Shane is the cousin, but he's like a brother. Okay. You'll understand. So Shane is on the left holding Tori. Then this is Nikki, and this is Sammy. Very normal looking. Yes. Those picture frames are definitely, like, of the time. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very normal looking. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, we're going to first start with Shelly, their mother. And we're going to talk about Shelly's childhood. Laura Watson, the pseudonym that I mentioned at the beginning, the grandmother, married Les Watson, who is 10 years older than her. Though, when they first started dating, and early in the marriage, he said he was only four years older than her. And they got married in 1960. (laughs) He was lying on his Tinder profile before it was cool. Yeah. (laughs) He said he was 6'3", and he was (laughs) 5'9". Unbeknownst to Laura, until after the marriage, Les already had three children. Oh, I thought you were going to say three wives. I did, too. (laughs) One one other wife, yes. Three children. So the three children were Shelly, Chuck, and Paul Watson. From his first wife, Sharon Watson, who could not raise the children and was a depressive alcoholic. Hmm. Laura agreed to take the children in. Shelley was six, born in 1954, followed by Chuck, who was three, and Paul, who was an infant. But Paul ended up staying with Sharon. Okay. Chuck never spoke a word, and if he started to, Shelley spoke for him. She had complete control over the boy. In 1967, so seven years later, Shelley was a teenager. She was about 13, and a homicide detective contacted the Watsons to let them know that Sharon had been murdered and was beaten to death, and someone needed to come pick up their young, her youngest son, Paul, who was now seven. Damn! Les did not want his son due to perceived behavioral issues, but Laura insisted. Shelley did not seem interested at all in her mother's death, her biological mother's death. Growing up, Shelley would tell Laura every single day how much she hated her. She was incredibly cruel. Eventually, the house became... Her to Laura. Yeah, Shelley was aide to Laura, yeah. And eventually, the house did become fuller as Laura and Les had a daughter and a son of their own as well. So there was five children. But Shelley remained difficult, starting fights, pitching fits, and flat out refusing to go places. If it wasn't her idea, she wouldn't do it. She also lied constantly about everything. Eventually, Shelley's behavior changed from disruptive and ungrateful to dark and vengeful. There were lies about family members, stolen money, and even suspicion of arson at one point. Grandma Anna was Les's mother, and she was a huge influence on Shelley's life as well. 
So a little bit about her. Anna was absolutely right about everything, and no one dared to challenge her. Her husband, George, was the complete opposite, and he did everything that Anna told him to do. For more than 20 years, he slept in a small 8 by 8 shed outside the back door of the kitchen, and he never slept in the house because Anna insisted that he sleep in the shed. What? Jeez. These are her grandparents. This mm-hmm. is Shelly's grandparents. Grandma Anna also had two people who worked for her at one of the nursing homes that she owned. And yes, she owned nursing homes. And that's going to be a very common thread as well. They own nursing homes. Um, and she treated these two women like slaves. She made them clean her house, do her dishes, wash floors, as well as wash her feet and do her hair. If they moved too slowly, she would punch them, kick them, and pull their hair. What? At one point, she even held one of the women's heads in a toilet bowl and flushed it repeatedly. No. Yep. How did, why did they keep coming back? Out of fear? It could be fear. It could be money. It could be not realizing their own worth. We don't know. Shelly went to Grandma Anna's after school. They were constant companions and Shelly paid very close attention to her grandmother's tactics and everything that she did. So Grandma Anna would tell Laura how terrible she was because her granddaughter was being neglected and needed to stay with her for a proper meal and to be bathed correctly. Yeah, that well, was, no kidding. Where is she supposed to learn how to torture folks? Yeah, exactly. In one instance, Lara came to pick up Shelly, though, and found that her red hair had been cut off uh, because Anna told her that she didn't brush it properly, that Laura wasn't brushing it properly, so she cut off Shelly's hair. And Shelly was very demoralized by this, and it looked awful. Objectively? Subjectively? I think it objectively looked bad, (laughs) yes. One day in 1969... Or was that just a cover? Because I got the ginger hair off. (laughs) It might be. One day in 1969, Shelly was 15 and was a no-show after school, so she didn't come home to Laura. Mm -hmm. And so after calling the school, the principal told Laura that Shelly was in a juvenile detention center in Vancouver. Laura was just so shocked and she had, they, no one would tell her what was going on. She called Les. They went to the detention center and they found out that Shelly was being held because she accused her father of raping her. Oh, shit. The family doctor had then had her ordered to the hospital where he performed an exam where he found that she had not been abused, there was no bruising, and she had never been touched. Good. Meanwhile, Laura went looking in Shelly's bedroom and found a magazine stuffed between the mattress and the box springs. And it was a dog-eared copy of True Confessions, which was a magazine. And on the cover, it said in all caps, I was raped at 15 by my dad. Oh my goodness. After this, there were lots of family therapy sessions as well as individual sessions with Shelly. And they proved unsuccessful. She wanted to return to school, but the administrators refused to let her back in. And from there, it was one school after another. She hopped from place to place, and they were declining her or not allowing her back for the next year. She ended up with Lara's parents at one point in a different town for school because they were the only ones that would accept her. And her parents walked on eggshells around Shelly. In some cases, she would volunteer to help Lara's mother with dishes, but she would end up throwing them in the garbage. Mm. That's what I do, too. Right, yeah. Why not? Just get brand new dishes. (laughs) During this time, Shelly said that she loved kids and would babysit them for free. Like, she loved them so much. She's like, people in the neighborhood, she's like, oh my god, I'll just watch your kids. You don't even have to pay me. Thrilling to a parent. Well, horrifying as well. I'm horrified. Yes. Oh my goodness. Parents would cut return for the night, and they would hear horror stories from their children about being barricaded in the room, and they would still be in like their clothes, like not even put to bed. It was Shelly would just barricade them in with large furniture. What? Yes. Shelly left Laura's parents after accusing Laura's father of abuse. 
And the parents were like, no. At another school, um, a Catholic school with nuns who were running it, they asked her not to return after she put broken glass in a classmate's shoe because she wasn't getting enough attention. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Her father, Les, gave Shelly everything that she wanted and treated her like a princess. And you'll find that it's a very common theme. No one told Shelly no because of the tantrums and the fits that mm-hmm. she would throw if that did happen. I told her no. I almost ended up in jail. Right. No kidding. Yeah. Les's sister was the next unwitting but well-meaning person to offer assistance. So her aunt? She, yes. So she lived on the East Coast, and Shelly went to school there for a year, and the problems that she caused in that household caused Les's sister and her husband to get a divorce. However, at this school, and she was not yet 18, but she would meet her future husband. What a catch. Yes. No kidding. So we're going to talk about her adulthood now. Shelly met Randy Rivardo in summer of 1971 when she was 17. They went their separate ways in 1972 after they graduated, but then Shelly missed Randy and called him in Pennsylvania saying that her dad had a job for him. At the time, Randy was like uh, trying to save up money to go to college, so he was working really hard and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't really quite sure, but then she offered a rent-free apartment paid for by her father so he could save up for school faster, and you know, you can't turn that down. Turn that down, exactly. So not long after he arrived, it was clear that the Watsons had more in mind for him. They wanted him to be Shelly's husband. Mm, get her get her out of their hair yes wow they treated randy like a long lost son and les was thrilled to pass his daughter off and that in february of 1973 shelly and randy both got married at 19 none of randy's well relatives none of randy's relatives or friends came to the wedding and it found it was discovered later that shelly just never sent the invites what yes they lived rent-free in a 40-foot trailer owned by the watsons Shortly after the wedding, however, Shelly complained about severe menstrual cramping and stopped going to work, and she stayed home. And this happened for, like, months. Mm. Soon, she desired a new car and went straight for her dad. For the Watsons, it was easier to just give in and not fight her. And she insisted on a VW Beetle, but instead her father returned with a nearly brand new pale pink Buick convertible. Shelly stomped her feet and pitched a fit, and there was no consoling her. She's 19, by the way. Shelly apparently collapsed in a stupor, having overdosed on sleeping pills and booze. Oh my goodness. Because of the car? Because she didn't get her, her beetle? Correct. When Randy could not revive... Who else wanted the beetle when they were... <laughs> I had one. I know you did. <laughs> I know. <laughs> when Randy couldn't revive her, he called the Watsons. I don't know why he didn't call the paramedics, but he called the Watsons first, and they rushed her to the hospital. The ER doctor pumped her stomach and found that she had only taken a couple aspirin. So she oh, was faking it? it? Yep. Oh what? God. Stop. Yeah. Why isn't this lady like... I don't know. Guys, this is she nothing. This is the tip of the iceberg. She's not safe. I know. She's not Not long after, Randy started attending classes at a local college. And one day, he returned to the trailer, and it was in complete shambles, and his wife had a bloody face. So he... What Mm -hmm. is going on? Now, I don't know if, like, someone came in and did it to her, or she just did it to herself. I assume. I don't know what to think. I assume she did it to herself. Right. Unless she pissed off the wrong person. I could see either one. Yeah. Yeah. Shelly told him that a man came in and attacked her and raped uh, her. No, no. He, Instantly, no, you yeah. did it yourself. The man also took Randy's rifle, her husband's rifle, and ran outside and buried it. What? When the sheriff arrived and listened to Shelly's report, he found that the wounds were self-inflicted yeah. and there had been no intruder. 
He told Randy and Les that he would not file charges against Shelly. But the instant that the sheriff left, she went back to her story and told the men that the sheriff forced her to recant the story. She told the men that it was dangerous to live in the trailer park and she needed to live in a house in town. (laughs) Oh my goodness. In typical Shelly fashion, she also left plenty of unpaid bills around town, the gas station, the grocer, bouncing check after check. Shelly announced, however, that she was pregnant the summer of 1974. So they got married was in she? 73. Yes, she was. And so she was 20 years old. Randy's family was thrilled and they announced a trip to come visit them and bring along baby gifts. I'm shocked since they weren't invited to the wedding. Yeah. Well, they love Randy. They didn't, like, Randy didn't realize the invitations hadn't been sent. And it was a long drive. It's Pennsylvania to Washington. So they're like, oh, you know, it's the old days. It's 70s, you know. So. Shelly told Randy that she did not want his family to come, but he brushed her off. So she sequestered herself in her room and didn't come out once during the entire time they were there. That's insane. The gifts they brought also started to go missing and they couldn't find them anywhere. Randy... They're buried with the gun. Randy also sampled homemade candy that his grandfather had sent as a gift. And it's candy that his grandfather had made a hundred times. It seems like he was like, it was like a very Italian family. So it was like, yes, yes, that kind of, you know, like homemade treat that they, you know, it's part of the family. It's been in there for generations. But when he took a bite of the candy, it tasted like of nothing but salt. And he called his grandpa and was like, buddy, like, I think you got a batch wrong, you know, whatever. And no one else from that batch had that problem. Like all his friends and family, like all the other family didn't. Yes. So when it was discovered, however, once they left, that Randy's sister had left some clothing behind, Shelly offered to mail it back to them. The package arrived in perfect condition. I'm waiting for the next shoe to drop. Though the contents had been shredded, and she had no idea how that could have happened. As if someone took scissors to them. What? Yes. This is is too wild. Dude, I fucking know. And I... You got, it's in the source notes as well, but I read this book. It's If You Tell. We're actually going to read out of the book. It's going to be a fun little excursion for everyone. But it is horrifying, the shit that I learned. It's insane. Very well-written book. 10 out of 10 recommend. Thank you to my dental hygienist who uh, recommended it to me. Oh, <laughs> that's where I go for my book recommendations, too. Me, too, actually, it turns out. Mm. Yes. So she's pregnant at 20. And then Nikki was born in February of 1975. Shelly decided that it would be best if Nikki stayed at her parents' house in Vancouver. Laura thought that it would only be for a few days, but it turned out to be a three-month stay before Randy put his foot down and made them return home. So all three of them were staying with their parents, or just the baby? The baby, all three. Okay. And Randy was like, dude, we're not staying with your parents. So Laura drove to see the baby every day because she didn't trust Shelly. Trouble in the marriage escalated when Shelly locked Randy out of the house at night. Whatever money he brought home, Shelly would spend. Randy would later say that Shelly was only nice when others were around. And Randy slept in his car. And when she complained that paychecks weren't being handed over on Fridays directly to her, she called her father, who made sure that they went straight into her hands. Because he was still working for the father. Right. Oh, my goodness. Randy could not take it anymore. Rightfully so. He left Shelly as fast as he could, and despite a small two-week reunion, he filed for divorce. So, like, there was, like, a two, like after he left, there was, like, two weeks of, like, reconciliation, and then they got divorced. Shelly retaliated by buying everything in sight, putting him further into debt. Randy sent her an income tax refund check that needed to be countersigned so that he could start paying back de- debt collectors, but she double-crossed him and had another man forge his signature. She cashed the money and kept it for herself. 
my. Then Shelly dropped out of sight. She stopped being a mother and left Nikki with a family member and then later with Laura. Shelly's absence wasn't explained for almost an entire year until she returned to get her daughter from Laura. So she just peaced out until the money ran out and then was like, eh, I guess I'll come back now. Yep. In 1978, Nikki was three, and Shelly told Nikki that her dad had abandoned them, and her paternal grandparents did not love her. Oh my goodness. Who had given her gifts and stuff. Many years later, Nikki would find a cache of letters from her dad and his side of the family, and discovered that her father's family had sent birthday and Christmas presents that her mother would cut tags off of and put her own name on. Oh, I know. Aren't you sick? This is nothing, guys. (laughs) Laura and Les were worried about Nikki, and when they w- went to the apartment to visit, they met Danny Long. Okay, wait, wait. So isn't Les her father? Mm-hmm. Okay, Shelley's father. Shelley, okay, mm-hmm. okay. So and he was the one. He was the one that Randy was working for, mm-hmm. but he was still like during that time funneling the paychecks back to Shelley before they got divorced. Right, but still, like, yeah. He kind of knows the deal. Why would he help facilitate? Because no one argues with yeah, Shelly. Okay. You have said that. Yes. So they met Danny Long. Shelly and Nikki weren't there, but the Watsons did find a box full of stolen things, plus a full set of keys to their home, their cars, and the cabin that they owned. Keys that had been missing from Laura's purse for several weeks. Soon enough, Shelly had a second baby on the way after moving into the house in battleground that Grandma Anna had left her favorite grandchild. Danny Long and Shelly got married in June of 1978 when she was just 24 years old, and Shelly gave birth to her second daughter in August of 1978, Samantha, who would be named Sammy. Danny was good to the girls, but pushed back on Shelly more than she was used to. The two of them fought constantly, hard and physically. Dishes shattered, there was yelling, running out the door. One time Laura visited and there were holes punched in the wall. Their relationship was short-lived, and the divorce came five years after. Shelly phoned her dad asking for money for the divorce, and Les questioned none of it. From there, whenever Shelly got a new boyfriend, she instructed Nikki to call him dad. That's weird. When Nikki went to school, she would simply enroll her under new man's surname. In 1983, at 29, Shelly had a new guy on the string. Dave Notek. Just before moving to Raymond, Nikki awoke from her bed, unable to breathe as a pillow pressed against her face. She screamed for her mother, and suddenly Shelly appeared. Nikki cried, saying that someone had put a pillow on her face, but her mother had insisted it was just a dream. The encounter it was fucking her. The encounter stayed with Nikki because of the speed at which her mother responded and the look on her face, which was interested. Oh my god. So then... Dave fell hard and fast for Shelly, as well as the girls. He loved the girls. They moved to Raymond with Dave. And as the couple grew closer, Shelly told him about a doctor's appointment, and she had bigger problems, telling him that she had cancer and likely would not live past 30. Um, She's a trustworthy source. The (laughs) The four of them moved to a red house on Fowler Street, and they married in December of 1987. One of the witnesses at the wedding was Shelly's best friend, Kathy Loreno. So that was one of the mentioned people at the beginning, too. Kathy and Ron are her friends. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the picture you showed us uh, was Shelly and, and Dave. Dave. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Dave clearly struggled to function in this marriage with Shelly. Nikki would later recall a time that when she went out on the porch to find Dave with a shotgun in the suicide position. This- oh, fuck. The first time things got really bad was after Dave had a few drinks at a Christmas party and Shelly was angry as all get out. She pushed him and screamed so much that he ended up going to his parents and spending the night there. But she did everything she could to separate Dave from his family. 
and she did a pretty good job at it. Years later, the house on Fowler Street burned to the ground, and they moved to a big rental home at Old Willapa, and that is where the trouble began. Began? No kidding. Began. And this is literally... I think we're, we're knee-deep in it. No. You're maybe, maybe ankle-deep. Mm, ankle? You guys can tell me when you get to the shoulders. <laughs> Let me know when you're drowning. In the Willapa home, things went south very, very quickly. Anything could be a weapon. A spatula, a fishing pole, an electric cord. All of which Shelly would use on the girls if they had done something wrong. The act of beating her children seemed to fuel and excite her. Quote-unquote, discipline came almost nightly. Nikki and Sammy would be asleep upstairs, and their mother would do stealth attacks, which seemed to be a favorite of hers throughout these stories. Stealth attack? All I can picture is her hiding in the top corner like Spider-Man, just (laughs) waiting to drop down. Yes. I wish that were the case. It's not. Her daughters would learn to wear extra clothes to bed in the event that their mother dragged them out into the yard in the middle of winter. Beatings nearly always ended bloody. On one occasion... Shelly pushed Nikki into a walk-in closet and started punching and hitting the girl while she cried for her mother to stop. She loved using demeaning language for any of these. And I will use some of it. I will tell you guys some of it. But honestly, she says it like constantly every time something bad is happening. So, for example, she was like, you fucking little bitch while beating her daughter. A literal child. Nikki had no idea what had set her mother off, but she promised she would never do it again. Nikki got up and tried to run, but her mom grabbed her and shoved her up against a wall where she hit a protruding nail. (gasps) Oh, my goodness. It was only when Nikki's head was literally nailed to the wall when Shelly lit up. Nikki wore ballet tights under her shorts to conceal bruises and bloody cuts on her arms and legs from phone cords whenever she went to school. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nikki told no one what was happening to her. Not all abuse was physical with Shelly. She loved mind games, too. Shelly locked Nikki in her room for a week before Christmas, telling her that she was worthless and would amount to nothing. Some things Shelly did were routine, however. For Christmas, their presents were taken back from the kids within days. One Christmas, Nikki got a Cabbage Patch doll, and Shelly took it right from her after she'd given it to her and put it in her closet. And Nikki, I think, like, would, would later recall, like, sneaking in and trying. But she's like, I know my mom liked to set traps. So I would just, like, if I knew she was gone and I knew I could get away with it, I would grab it and I would just hold it. And then I'd put it right back just the way it was. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, horrific. Another Christmas, Shelly gave Sammy and Nikki teddy bear pins. And as the presents were opening and all the wrapping paper got everywhere, the pins went missing, and Shelly was unhinged. She beat both girls with an electric cord, and she kept them up all night looking for them, Dave backing her entirely. When they finally found them tucked inside another Christmas gift, both girls knew exactly who had hidden it there. (gasps) Oh my god. Oh yeah, this was a very common tactic. She loved hiding their things, and then beating them for losing it. So like, homework would always go missing, books, things like that, like constantly. It was like a thing she did. Can you guys see why I've been, like, horrified by this story up until this point? Um, Beatings will continue until morale improves. (laughs) Jeez. Oh, my God. As the girls got older, Shelly spent more and more time concocting new torture techniques. One of her all-time favorite things was to restrict bathroom privileges. So she would restrict showers and bathroom use, telling the girls that the well had run dry despite being on city water. Whenever Shelly left the girls alone, they'd hurry into the bathroom and shower as quickly as they could while Sammy would dry the floor and shower walls and the faucet. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so this is really bad. 
I know I've been saying really bad things up until now. Skip ahead 30 seconds if you really don't want to hear this. I mean, this has all been a trigger warning, but here we go. So something that Shelley did was called wallowing. Wallowing was a nighttime activity that took place, and it was an all-seasons punishment for Nikki being the primary focus. Starting with Shelly, turning the lights on and demanding her to get out of bed and get the fuck downstairs with her clothes off. Nikki was forced to squat naked in the mud as her father sprayed her with the hose. Dave was mostly mute as he went, but he went about what he was told to do. Shelly would shout at Dave, make her wallow. She's a pig, Dave. Teach her a lesson. To which Dave would respond, wallow, Nikki. On one occasion, she tried to lift herself and Nikki's fingertips felt like frozen shards of ice because it was the middle of winter. The mud puddle of the wallowing hole was frozen at its edges and she was thinking that she would get pneumonia and die and she saw that this was the only way out was to die. These poor kids. Oh my God. Welcome back. That was really bad. So Sammy was very aware that Nikki's punishments were so much worse. And the same transgressions that she committed would only merit a ripping strip of the belt or a hard slap on the back of the hand. She was never forced to wallow. And that would be a theme throughout the rest of their lives, really. Sammy was the golden child. Not that Sammy wasn't ever punished and not that Mm -hmm. Sammy was not ever abused or tortured. It's just she knew that Nikki was getting it worse than her. Do they know why? I don't think that there's any logic in a woman like Shelly. So, yeah. One night after quote-unquote wallowing, Shelly dragged Nikki up to the bathroom, beating her the entire time. She switched on the hot water and filled the tub. Not the cold tap, just the hot. And she said, you're a pig, clean up and go to bed. Without knowing why, Nikki's position in the family had plunged downwards. Sammy learned to be accommodating and to not push too hard and to get out of a punishment. And, but Nikki didn't quite get that or she refused to, which I, you know, I, I totally get. Like if I were Nikki, I wouldn't want to put up, you know, you want to stand up for yourself. I get that. But I'm not someone who could be complacent, like and to, to avoid it. Like that's just not my personality. But, you know, it's all about how they learn to survive. Mm-hmm. Sammy would later recall a time when Nikki was literally lashed with a whip. Shelly loved to play favorites, and most of the time it was Sammy. At one point, Shelly told Sammy that her name was actually Sammy Joe, and they just hadn't called her that up until this point. Sammy later wondered if it was... What a random fact. Oh. Sammy later wondered if her mother had done it to hide her from her biological father, who was looking for his daughter at the time. Oh. Mm-hmm. Good lord. Since there were no locks on the doorknobs, Shelly would lodge a butter knife into the door frame to keep her daughters in their rooms. Nikki was kept in her room. You couldn't do that? Apparently. I don't know. Whoa. Nikki was kept in her room for an entire summer. Though Nikki almost didn't mind the banishment, first to the bedroom and later to a closet, because it meant that she was away from her parents and away from her mother's tirades. That summer, Shelly handed Nikki a plastic bucket from Home Depot. Over the next few weeks, Shelly only let Nikki out to empty the bucket and restricted all contact with Sammy. What the fuck? Only a few times that summer was Sammy allowed to go into the room and retrieve Nikki's bucket. However, Nikki reflected on that time and she saw the silver lining in the bright side. Being banished to the closet had a, where her mother stored a collection of books. And that is where she would escape through the books throughout the summer. And she learned to love reading, which... Oh my goodness. I don't know how these girls, I mean, you guys are going to learn very quickly. They are the strongest people I've ever read about. Like, I don't know how they with, how she could even think of that as 
you know, I mean, you, I know you have to look at the lights in your childhood when mm-hmm. you know you went through the, but it's like, oh my god, oh my god, honey, I want to give him a hug. Nikki was obviously eventually let out, but not long after, Shelly started right up again with her tirades. Shelly shoved Nikki through a plate glass kitchen door. When she saw blood, she dropped the belt she was carrying and went to help her daughter. First, she said, "Look what you made me do." Then her mood changed again, almost like a switch had flipped, and she was like, oh, I'm sorry. Sammy helped Shelly and Nikki into the bathroom where Shelly ran a warm bath, not a scalding one, and the water ran red. Shelly was actually kind to Nikki right after the incident and took her to dinner and even to a stylist to get her hair done. She wasn't... Well, she... Yeah, she really injured her. Well, yeah... It's this was weird a very, that she actually cares. There, this was a very common tactic. She would like beat and like whatever, and then she'd like be like, "Oh, honey, you know it's for your own good." Like you know whatever, and just like be really loving. And that kind of is why we'll talk about it towards the end of this series as well. But it's a really common tactic for abusers, so that they have those like this is your mother, right? So they're holding on to anything that they think that their mom could be in those loving moments, and that's what they're holding on to, hoping that that is going to be. The person that they get all the time and that's just not the case and it's not fair well and with that i mean if she was that injured she literally could have like told someone and been like here's the exactly proof. and if she was so injured that she literally would have had the proof and she could have showed someone exactly and then and that was a big thing with shelly she mm-hmm. was always scared of being found out like if she's like oh what if someone saw like that you know and she was not averse to taking the girls to doctors, but she often took matters into her own hands. So Shelly did not go to the doctor for this. Dave would later recall at one point where her, his wife literally performed surgery to remove a large cyst from his back. What? Yeah. Like she just, she did shit on her own. No, thank you. Yeah. No. Despite the abuse. N- no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gross. Absolutely not. Yeah. He wouldn't chisel away at, at Libby's back over here. Absolutely not. <laughs> Get a little ball of puss. No, that's when you take the shot back. <laughs> Just picture that. Just picture it. Nope, I'd rather not. Okay. By the way, we joke, we laugh. It's because this is a tough story. I need to get through it some way or another. So thank you. (laughs) Despite the abuse in the household, Laura, their grandmother, never heard a bad word about it from her granddaughters. She did stay at the house on one occasion, however, and found that, and it was like a warm summer night and went to go open the windows and she found that the windows were nailed shut, but the girls couldn't recall any reason why that might be. They just said Shelly could be weird. She didn't tell her? No. Again, that'll be a very common theme as well. She could have helped. She would have helped. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it was out of fear for them or out of fear of what Shelly would do to their grandma, too. A little bit of all of it, honestly, too. And they also felt later, like, I I mean, I'm sure at this time as well, there was a loyalty to their mom, right? So they're like, you know, we love her. Like, you know, I don't want to get her in trouble. Like, we we love her. You know, she's my mom. And that's a very common thing with abusers, right? They don't know that you don't have to love them. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So at the beginning of this episode, I talked to you guys about, um, Shane, who is their cousin. So this is a picture of Shane Watson, and I'm going to introduce who he is a little bit about him. Okie dokie. Yep. So Shane was actually Shelly's nephew and he was born back in 75. He was Paul's son, the youngest brother, the baby, and his father had been in and out of prison. Shane had nowhere else to go. 
when he arrived in Raymond in 1988 at age 13. So that's the picture I showed you guys. When he arrived, Nikki was 14 and Sammy was 10. And how old was Shelly then? Or not Shelly, yeah. sorry. Um, um, Nikki. Nikki was 14 and Sammy Four- was 10. Okay. Sorry, I thought I was thinking Shane when you said 14. Oh, no, he was 13. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's good. Nikki and Shane were very close and confidants and relied on each other since they were so close in age. He quickly became more like a brother than a cousin in the household. Shelly bought him new clothes for school and made him a new bedroom in the basement with new bedding and helped him to feel at home. Shane started calling Shelly and Dave mom and dad very quickly. Soon after he arrived, Shelly put him to work with a chore list that never seemed to shrink. Shane was scared of Shelly, who definitely started to fixate on him. She gave him a heap of demands and chores to do around the house and the yard, and if they weren't done right, he paid the price. Items started to disappear. His pillow, his blanket, his bed, and soon he was forced to sleep on the floor. Shelly took away his every other week's shower privileges and gave him only one set of clothes to wear to school. Soon after Shane's arrival, Laura came to visit and found that her grandson was sleeping on a mattress on a concrete floor. Shelly gave the vague excuse that she had just been too busy to get him a proper bed. And later, Laura would learn that she actually did give him a bed. And she always wondered if she hadn't raised a fuss if that ever would have happened. Nikki knew that her mother was not normal. She would later recount... I think as a kid, I depended on her, her being my mom. I don't think I ever thought I had any other options but to live with her. As an adult, I kick myself for not doing something to help myself to help myself back then. My mother could show affection and say kind words when she wanted to. She would abuse me, then the very next day hug me or tell me how I was her baby and she loved me, blah, blah. I think it worked like any abusive relationship. A person feels trapped, nowhere to go. They are abused, and then the abuser reins them back in with kindness, and the person being abused settles, not quite thinking about the next time they are beat, etc. Just relieved the abuse is over, for now. My mother was a ticking time bomb. I never knew she would go off. Everything could be great for a few days, then boom. I loved my mother because I didn't know I had a choice. I had to love her. That last bit, I underlined twice. I think it needs to be reiterated. These kids, and it makes sense with any abusive relationship, especially with a parent and child. The parent's always supposed to love you, always supposed to care for you. Mm-hmm. They do not know that you don't have... Emily's going to cry. This is going to make me cry. This is so sad. Yeah. They, this is hideous. They don't abuse children especially not that any abuse isn't you know the same circumstance but children especially do not know that they do not have to love their abuser yeah their their parents they don't they don't know any know. different yeah mm-hmm. that's all they know mm-hmm. so while she knew it wasn't normal she's like well she was nice to me sometimes and whatnot emily's literally crying so here we go okay sometimes shelly made her kids do embarrassing things other times painful and other times just flat out ridiculous Shane was also brought in with Nikki and was beaten and made to wallow. Another time, she instructed Nikki and Shane to remove their clothes and and instructed them to dance in the nude in the living room. Sometimes, Dave would be there for the dancing, and he would sit and watch. Sammy came to see nudity as her mother's way of humiliating her victims and to keep them from running away. Forced nudity was a one component of Shelley's demeaning methodology, and a very common thing with her. She was... Nudity became a real thing. 
Are you okay, Em? You are crying. Yeah, no. I am so sorry. They're just watery. Uh, <laughs> that is so sad. It is I knew so that sad. damn guy was, was weird. You said it, and you were right. There are two peas in a pod. Yeah, I don't know how he goes along with it. I just don't. I don't get it. In the middle of winter, Shelly grabbed the kids by the neck and made them undress, Nikki and Shane. They peeled off their clothes, thinking that they'd be forced to wallow together, but Dave wasn't home, and he was always the commander of the wallowing, standing in the dark, running the hose, and reinforcing everything Shelly requested. So instead, Nikki and Shane were told to go out to a post on the hill behind the house and sit with their backs to each other and stay there until she said they were done. It was completely dark when Shelly told Nikki and Shane to come inside. Just in the noob, just sitting out in the cold. It's terrible. Yeah. So and now... You said that was winter again, right? Yeah, in the winter, yeah. In the middle of winter. So now I'm going to introduce to you, um, I mentioned her earlier, she was at Dave and Shelly's wedding, her friend Kathy Loreno. So this is Kathy. Okay. Is this the one who found her, Dave with the shotgun? No, Nikki found her. The oldest daughter. Nikki, I thought, was the second daughter. Oh, Nick, no, okay. You're good, you're good. Yeah, I should have really made a family tree. No, no. Nikki is the oldest daughter, Sammy's the middle. Yep. So, Kathy. After Shane came, her best friend Kathy arrived. Kathy first arrived on scene as a friend and then a babysitter. Sammy almost immediately took to Kathy, though Nikki and Shane could not stand her initially. The older teens did not need another mom or a person telling them what to do. For Christmas of 1988, Shelly was 34 and pregnant with her third child, and she announced that Kathy would be moving in. Shelly and Dave moved Kathy's twin bed and dresser to an open space between Sammy and Nikki's room. Kathy was 30 years old and out of work, and Nikki watched this new person carefully. She could see a dynamic developing between Kathy and her mom. Kathy worshipped Shelly. Why? Because she let her into her house. She was, she had fallen on hard times. She had some disputes with her family and stuff. So she was just such a good friend. She just mm. worshipped the ground she walked on. With Kathy and Shane in the household, a new baby meant another mouth to feed. And Dave felt the pressure of being the sole provider. Kathy was there to help with the pregnancy and prenatal appointments, as well as Shelly's cancer treatments. Because remember, she still has cancer and won't live till 30. She's 34. Dave never I completely si- forgot about that. Oh, I did too. Easy to forget. Wait, does what she- kind of cancer? Really? No, she's just got cancer. Oh, and she's gonna live till thirty-four. Honey, cancer. I'm okay. gonna answer this question for you now. No. Okay. I mean, she I does didn't not think have so, cancer. But if she's having cancer appointments, what she? She's telling? also people. Dave or- never said it to anyone at the time, but he found it extraordinary that his wife could be pregnant with all the chemo. This was truly a miracle. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. So, enter Tori, who was born in June of 1989. Shelley told everyone that Tori was a preemie with underdeveloped lungs. She announced that shortly after coming home, Tori had stopped breathing, and she was able to revive her. Shelley reveled in the worry that something was wrong with her baby. Tori was not actually a preemie. She told Nikki and Sammy that the week early birth had left her sister with some heart problems and she needed a very special bed and heart monitor. The baby was 39 weeks when it was born. A week mm-hmm. early, that's a nothing burger, yeah. right? Okay. That's a misestimation by the ultrasound. Yeah. 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 Every night after the girls had gone to bed, they would wake up to alarms going off and panic downstairs. Shelly would calm the storms, soak, soaking up the worry and doing her best to ease them. One time, Nikki actually came downstairs to find her mother holding a pillow over Tori's face. I was just going to say. Just like she, that happened to her, right? Yeah. Yep. 
And so she arrived too soon for the panic alarms to go off. So she was just doing this to her child to get the alarms to go off, to get everyone up and be like, oh my God, is baby okay? Is it, are you okay, Molly? What's going on? Just for the attention. Dude, I fuck, it's disgusting. So Nikki and Sammy kept an eye on their baby sister, but no one talked about what they suspected. Kathy and the girls took on a greater role taking care of the baby in the house. Dave, however, saw Shelly as the best mother he had ever known. Dave is an idiot. Yeah. Okay. Either Shelly is, I mean, she is, she's probably very convincing, or he's a total ding dong. I will say or that. Or she is amazing and bad. One of those three. It has <laughs> I will to say be that one of she's very convincing. People from outside the family always, she had a nickname around town that was like Crazy Shelly or Psycho Shelly, but that like people that she talked to, she would convince was a really good person. So I'll tell you about those people later, but it was very strange. Birthdays were always a really big deal. One year, Shelly got Sammy a popple, a toy that every kid wanted. And it was like a stuffed animal toy. I don't know. I've never heard of it. And Kathy got her a golden necklace. Later, Shelly would ask her what her favorite present was. And she said it was the necklace that Kelly got her mm. or that Kathy got her. And after everyone left, Shelly took the belt and beat her child. Yeah. Meanwhile, Laura Watson divorced from Les at this point, so their grandmother and grandpa are divorced, took a phone call from Shelly. Shelly was distressed and told her that it was confirmed non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Shelly told Laura that she was getting treatment, but it was very serious. She called a few days later saying the doctors actually got it wrong and it wasn't lymphoma, It was, but it was cancer of the pituitary gland. So it was not Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was not non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. <laughs> <laughs> Laura had never heard of that before. So she said it was cancer of the pituitary gland. Pituitary gland. I'm going to get it out of this eventually. Laura had never heard of that before, and she wasn't sure how a mistake like that could have been made. She's worked in the medical field, and she asked doctors like around her, and they were like, never heard of it. Not sure. And she's like, also, I don't know how these cancer treatments are continuing. So she pushed back. And Laura offered to come to Raymond to help, but Shelly said that she already had a helper. And over the next few weeks, Kathy would take calls from Laura to let her know about Shelly's treatments. Shelly's cancer treatments were lasting for a very long time. Too long. Laura had her doubts. And one day, Shelly phones Laura, and Laura pressed the point, saying that she was tired of this cancer crap. Kathy and Dave both called defending Shelly, and Laura asked Dave if he had actually ever seen the bill. And he told her that he took her to the doctor and sat there for eight hours in the waiting room. She knew that Shelly was going. Laura, What? Yeah. And Laura was like, have you ever, like, seen her hooked up to an IV? Like, anything like that? He's like, no, 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 I wait in the waiting room. She's slipping out the back door. Laura was sure that Shelly was probably going out the back door and just did about her own thing while he waited for eight hours. Oh, I thought she was just sleeping with the doctor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but eight hours is a long time, so. Wouldn't put it back at the past. Maybe actually sleeping. They get a cuddle afterwards. I don't know. <laughs> Later, given how long the cancer treatments were going, Laura decided to take it upon herself to confront her stepdaughter. So she brought her daughter with her when she went, which is Shelly's stepsister. Sure. Or half-sister. Sorry, half-sister. It's less than yes. that, So, yeah. When she showed up to confront Shelly, she was wearing white makeup and had shaved off her all her eyebrows. Like, white pasty makeup. It's fucking hysterical. Stop. You're so what? stupid. What so, Shelly even stepped out, stepped away to go to the bathroom at one point and returned with a fistful of red hair. Laura went into the bathroom afterwards and found, a, found a, the scissors with the red hair still on them in the wastebasket. She's so stupid. Yeah, like, Laura was like, you're literally so dumb. And this would happen again later, like, with another, um, in another incident as well. I'm not going to cover it specifically, but, yeah, it happens with, like, Sammy and her boyfriend as they grow older. Like, she puts on the white makeup and shit. I know! It's, like, fucking appalling. 
All I can think of is like the meme of the clown. Just like it's like a three three block thing where it's just like like slowly becoming more and more of a clown. Oh my gosh. Kathy seemed to fade away and her personality began to dissolve. No matter how hard she worked, Shelly was never satisfied. Whenever displeased, Shelly would grab whatever was handy, a kitchen utensil, a book, an electrical cord, and she would strike her. Her adult friend, Kathy. And she stuck around, didn't she? Oh, yeah. On one occasion, Kathy and Shelly had an actual fight on the hill by the kitchen door. Though Shelly was pregnant at the time with Tori, Kathy was larger, and Kathy still took a beating, and Shelly kicked her in the abdomen, sending Kathy tumbling down the hill. This is Sparta! (laughs) Exactly. Oh, so fucked up. Then came the lies. Shelly What do you mean, then? She's She starts gaslighting the shit out of Kathy. I mean, on top of everything. So she... It's always sunny, where Charlie lies about having cancer. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Have you seen that episode? I don't think so. Oh. I don't think I have. It's Love not as answer. depressing as this. I no, this is way worse. <laughs> Shelly would accuse Kathy of sleepwalking in Shane's bedroom, and Shane, scared of Shelly, would back up her story. Shane would later tell Nikki that it was all a lie. Both teens participated in the lies and abuse, but they were in survival mode. They knew that it was wrong, but they had no choice. Yeah, I don't don't blame them. With Kathy holding Shelly's attention, it meant Shelly wasn't looking at them. So they knew it was wrong, and they didn't, they knew she was being punished, but it's like, she's not looking at me. Can't blame them. No, absolutely not, of course And that's the adult that has options. Right, Mm -hmm. exactly. Well, you'll kind of understand, eventually. And she didn't have anywhere else to go. Her family had been estranged. It was like a whole thing. Yeah, but like... At what point do you just say, okay, I'm going to go... You'll understand why she doesn't do that. So we'll talk about that. But we're not there yet. On another occasion, Kathy had done something to piss Shelly off, and Shelly planted her foot in Kathy's back at the top of the stairs, sending her tumbling. Down the stairs? Yeah. Shelly started to take away Kathy's privileges as well. Her personal items were confiscated, starting with her pictures, her her country music records, and knitting supplies. Which, so pure. Hey... Thank you for never shoving me down the stairs. Hey, whoa, whoa, there's still plenty of time. (laughs) Um, I think the last person to fall down the stairs was me. Then came her clothes, and by the time she was done, Shelly had left Kathy with a single pair of underwear, a bra, and a moo-moo. A moo-moo. Which I learned, I had never heard that term before. It is like a nightgown, basically. And I learned how to spell it. M-U-U-M-U-U. Is that how you spell moo-moo? We've been talking about Mew Mew's. Mew Mew. Mew Mew's. A lot lot. lately in our worlds, yes. But I had never heard the term until I met Emily. Actually, I thought they were just nightgowns. Like, I didn't know there was anything called. We gotta quit sharing this deeply disappointing fact. What? People. That I'm how you learned about Mew Mew. Why? Like, you knew what they were. (sighs) You've worked in nursing homes in the past. Like, I assume you would. (laughs) I know that's not why. I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt, bitch. Okay. Um... (laughs) They're just so comfy. Oh, God. Okay, keeping it all in. Anyway, so she'd been left with a single pair of underwear, a bra, and a muumu. And within days, the muumu was gone, too. And then the underwear vanished. Kathy was forced to... She's got to let things breathe sometimes. Kathy was forced to do chores around the house in the nude in front of the children. What? She was told that she had to ask to use the toilet, and she could no longer bathe unless it was approved by Shelly. Bathing outside with a garden hose eventually became the norm. I mean, uh, literally, at what point 
Like, just living on the street is better. I know. Well, she has no clothes now, either. Like, she's... Well, she's, she wouldn't have any clothes out there, either, but at least if she gets them, yeah. she knows she can keep it. You will understand, I promise. There's kind of an explanation to this. Sometimes, Shelly would lock her in a closet for any given offense, and she did it to all of them. All the kids, as well. The pause, however, on the abuse against the kids came at a steep price. They were safe, but they would be forced to accept things that would later haunt them forever. Shelley showed no mercy when enlisting her children's help in Kathy's torture. She'd force Shane to punch or kick Kathy. If he didn't, he would be forced to wallow or would end up duct taped to a wall naked or be made to sleep on a concrete floor without clothing or a blanket. You know how... We have that scenario, and we've done it before, where would you rather take on, like, a seven-foot, one-year-old, or one... Or seven-one-year-old, seven, or something yeah, like yeah. that. This is that scenario where I'm like, okay, there's, what, four children? And I I know. I know that it's a mentality thing. Like, it is. brainwashed, but I'm like... They could take her. Strap that bitch down, and... Tie they, up. they certainly fantasized about it. Nikki and Shane would talk about it. They'd be like, oh, we could throw in their crawl space. We could do this. And I'll talk about that too later. But I'm sure they, they fantasized about they knew what was happening to them was wrong. But it's like a definitely a mentality thing. It's kind of like the younger sibling being picked on by the older sibling. There's a mentality there. It's like, oh, yeah. well, the older sibling's always going to be stronger than me, you know, or bigger than me. And I say that completely understanding. Why totally. Yeah. Like it, right? right. There's no blame here. <laughs> of course. Yes. Another time, Kathy went missing and everyone in the house went searching for her. No one could find her until Sammy located her cowering in the closet. It had been Shelly who'd hidden her there, telling her, quote, It's going to be okay. I'm here to protect you. You're safe with me, Kathy. I promise. No one will hurt you. Shane won't hurt you. None of them will. Unquote. Kathy lost weight. Her skin was bruised and scratched. Her dental work was failing. Her hair had been chopped off by Shelly. And she had previously been a hairstylist, so her hair had been really important to her. Sammy and Nikki felt sympathy for her. And on one occasion, Kathy said, I wish you could help me, but I know you can't. On another occasion, the Notex went camping and Kathy rode in the trunk. She even slept in the trunk. Another occasion, they went to the laundromat and brought Kathy in the trunk, who was forced to stay in the trunk. Oh, my. By then... Kathy was weaker, and she put up with riding in the trunk and working around the house naked and ingesting whatever pills she was handed by Shelly. So I know you were like, why don't you leave? Why aren't you leaving? The pills play a really big part of this. So is she addicted to the pills? Do they? No, we're going to talk about the pills here in okay. a second. But another time, the girls watched in horror as Kathy sat on the porch with a bowl on her head and Shelly cut her hair. So she got like a bowl, bowl cut. cut. Very reminiscent of what happened to Shelly when she was a child as well. Shane and Nikki were on a quest to find out what happened to Kathy. She'd been really normal when she moved in, but it ha- so it had to be the pills. Shelly left for the day, and so Nikki and Shane went searching. Shelly kept an array of pill bottles on the top of her dresser and on the nightstand, including NitroQuick, Atenolol, Altace, Axel, Lorazepam, and Prozac. And so, for example, lorazepam is a treatment for seizure disorders, but it causes suicidal thoughts and paranoia, as well as impairing memory, judgment, and coordination. Mm. And a lot of these drugs had very similar nasty side effects. They also recognized the Prozac pills. Shane took one, and within 20 minutes, Nikki remembered him being looped. 
So he just took one to see what would happen. Mm -hmm. Shelly was clearly drugging Kathy, and it wouldn't be a wonder if she was also drugging Shane or any of the girls from time to time. Because she would often be like, oh, you don't have a headache? Or you have a headache? Oh, here, let me just take a pill. One, mm. like, for example, one time Sammy had a headache and her mother gave her pills that were really funny looking and unfamiliar because she said she was out of Excedrin. And she took them. And the next thing she knew, she was on the porch on all fours, unable to lift her head. Oh, my God. So I know you were like, why is she saying why? She was taking pills, not realizing what they were doing to her body. Mm. And it gets way worse even after, like, the pills. Like, eventually, it's not just the pills keeping her there. In another instance, Shelly went for the duct tape, determined to punish Shane for some undisclosed reason. No one knew what had actually happened, and no one could later recall what he'd done to earn this punishment. But she grabbed Icy Hot from the medicine cabinet. She made him undressed, bound his ankles and wrists while the girls looked on. She put him in the corner and by the front door, and then applied Icy Hot to his penis while he yelped in pain. No! Oh my god. Yeah. Ow! Yeah. No, 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 no. I, yeah. No. Dude. No. Dude. So fucked. Another time, <laughs> Ken's like, oh, like protecting yeah. himself right now. <laughs> <laughs> Another time, Shelly and Nikki left, leaving Sammy in charge of Shane. So she had made Shane strip down and duct taped his wrists and ankles and pushed him into the corner by the front door, as usual. As soon as they left, Sammy did what they always, what everyone did when Shelly left the house. She went to use the bathroom. Shelly never let her children use the toilet without permission or without the door being fully open. She would like to stand there and like vigil while she watched the kids use the bathroom like a science experiment. That's weird as fuck. Yep. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to say this. I don't want to be in the room while someone else is pooping. It smells bad. <laughs> Maybe she likes it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone likes their own brand. That's exactly what I was just thinking of. <laughs> What's that from? Austin Powers. Oh, oh Austin Powers. Powers. Thank you. You're absolutely right. It was gold, uh, Fat Bastard. Fat Bastard. That's yeah. right. When Sammy returned from the bathroom, Shane was gone. It was dark by the time Sammy found Shane in the woodshed. And so there's also a barn out back, too, that's, like, falling apart. It's 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 technically like a farm, but it's not. Shelly didn't say a word as Shane came back inside, freezing, crying, and naked. On another occasion, the Notex went to a water park, and Shane went on the run again. It took two days to find him. Shelly found her nephew and coaxed him back in the car with words that meant more to him than anything, telling him how much she loved him. Oh, the poor kid. I know. He was he was out. Yeah. Eventually, Tori grew, and the crib couldn't stay in Shelly's bedroom any longer. Shelly forced Kathy out of the spot between Sammy and Nikki's room. Kathy was forced into the basement, and to the right of the staircase was Kathy's new room, the oil furnace room, and on the other side of the drafty basement was where Shane slept. The 5 by 8 space had concrete floors and unfinished walls with exposed studs. The space was so tight that it could barely accommodate a mattress. At one point, Sammy found boxes of Kathy's things and brought down posters and put them up in Kathy's room to make it seem more homey. Sammy was like a very sweet child like she wanted everyone to be it was just so just heartbreaking kathy begged her not to put up the posters and apparently kathy knew shelly better than her own daughter when shelly saw what sammy had done she screamed at kathy and stripped down the walls when she found sammy she told her that she was a terrible child late one night a few days after the first freeze of winter or sorry after the first freeze of the year kathy was done had done something to make shelly really angry 
Dave and Shelly instructed Kathy to climb to the top of the hill behind the house. Kathy was naked and freezing. Kathy begged to come back inside, but they declined. Instead, she started to slide down the hill. She cried and yelped the whole way. Then she had to crawl back upwards again, and it went on for what felt like hours. Kathy was barely able to walk from the cold and the pain. She was undoubtedly feeling over and over, up and down. Her bottom was scraped raw from ice crystals from the snow. And the next morning, the snow was bloody and red all the way down the hillside. Oh, my God. Kathy's mother, Kay, needed major heart surgery in 1991. But her eldest daughter was nowhere to be found. They knew that she was staying with Shelly, and family reached out several times. Shelly would get on the line and casually inform everyone that Kathy had moved away with her boyfriend, Rocky. Oh, my goodness. A month later, in April of 1991, the family piled into a car trip for the beach and Kathy rode in the trunk. That afternoon, they brought a video camera. Footage shows Kathy in failing health. Her front teeth had begun to decay into black nubs, and her skin sagged where it had once been full. Not long after that, the family bought the Louderback house. So I'd like to refresh before I show you the house. Don't, no, no cheating. Shelly and Dave live in the house. Nikki, Sammy, Tori, Kathy, and Shane. Seven bodies. Okay. This is the house they moved into. Oh my goodness. That's a shed. What? No. Who slept outside? The house was only 1,600 square feet with two tiny bedrooms upstairs and a master bedroom on the main level. They... There's two bedrooms in that thing? And a master bedroom. So three technically, but two small ones upstairs. How? Yeah, exactly. And upstairs? That thing's like flat. It's to be a loft. Here, I'll show you the house again. Right up here. There's one. And there's probably one on the back end of the house, the other side. Smaller than my house. And mine only has... The one, the one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There weren't enough bedrooms for three sisters, let alone Shane and Kathy. Tori slept with her par- in her parents' bedroom. Shane slept mostly in Nikki's closet. Kathy slept on the floor in the living room. By then, her belongings fit into a single paper bag. It was on the main road and not tucked among the firs or off the beaten path like the last house, and the kids hoped that it would be much better here. If the property were more exposed, maybe Kathy couldn't get abused. Maybe Kathy wouldn't be forced to work in the yard naked. Maybe Nikki and Shane wouldn't be forced to wallow. But it turns out it was far more secluded than they originally thought. On the first or second day there, Shelley told Sammy to go around the property along the road and see what a bystander or another homeowner might see of the house in the yard. The property was just shy of five acres and mostly fenced. The Notech family had a house full of pets, including dogs, cats, and eventually would grow to include horses, chicken, a cockatiel, and a rabbit. And one thing that throughout this whole story, Shelley was always very like a huge fan of animals. She's like, I've never heard an animal. Are you kidding me? And it's like, that's where you drew the line? What is wrong with Shelly? It's always just interesting to me what lines people draw, you know? I don't know. Shelly continued her relentless attacks in the new house. Not on the house? Take this house! (laughs) In the house, unfortunately. (laughs) And she focused mostly on Shane and Kathy. Nikki flinched whenever Shelly approached her, though. Shelly would bite her head, slap her, punch her. One time she got slapped for falling asleep in the passenger seat of a car. Kathy didn't get to bathe often before or after the move. At first, the baths she'd been given in the new house were much like the previous house. The hose turned on while she stood naked, no matter the time of year. But now, the soap was being taken away. Instead, Shelly used bleach. Ooh. Kathy screamed as bleach splashed into her open sores, 
that mottled her skin from head to toe. When she cried out too much or struggled to get away, either Shelly or Dave would duct tape her arms and legs. If Dave wasn't there, Shane was forced to hold Kathy down. One time, Shelly even put a piece of duct tape over Kathy's mouth so the neighbors wouldn't hear. When the bath was over, Shelly would switch over to her sweet, kind persona, cooing and holding Kathy. In later reports, Dave would admit that he was surprised that bleach actually damages human skin, and he was sure that Shelly hadn't known that it was bad for them either. This guy's a freaking dumbass. Yep. Dave asked Shelly about Kathy, and Shelly insisted that she was helping Kathy get better. When he came home... There's no way this guy is this oblivious. Oh, he's fucking dumb. No. He's just he's, an asshole, and he's playing the dumb card to get it. I don't know. To avoid abuse. When, no, she abuse to him? abuse. I mean, he, he, she demoralized him a lot, so she would talk yeah. a lot of shit. Emotionally and mentally, I would say. I mean, I'm sure there was some physical, but it was mostly emotional, mental. Mm-hmm. When he came home from work on weekends, he would see less and less of Kathy, and the girls told him that Kathy now stayed in the pump house. The pump house was out back. It was a four-by-four-foot fo- structure. And I looked it up, and it looks like it's something that's, like, on farms. It's, like, like a literal pump house. Like, mm-hmm. you pump the water. The well, yeah. The well, yes. Occasionally, Shane and Nikki would be forced to stay there as well. Kathy would be forced to stay there for days, even weeks at a time. At one point, Sammy brought some cushions from an old brown sofa that had been stored in a woodshed. But when Shelly found out, she made Sammy remove them right away. Shelly's word was gospel to Dave. She continually insisted that Shane was the one abusing Kathy, despite what he had seen. Dave would later recall that he came home one time to Shane dragging Kathy around the yard by her feet. Though we can all guess who was instructing him to do that. Another time, Kathy ran away. Two hours later, Shelly returned with Kathy, and who was carried two new bags of clothes from the mall. Kathy had decided to come home and looked better than she had in ages, despite her hair and teeth falling out, because she was in her new clothes. A few days later, after her return, Kathy was were taken away. Kathy was out back in the pump house as punishment for running away, and the new clothes were never seen again. Kathy also tried to escape again and again, even trying to escape completely naked. And there was one circumstance where Sammy was getting on the bus for school, and the school bus driver, or like another kid, was like, "Oh my God, I saw your mom running naked through the club for through that yard." And they were like, "And she's like, oh my God, no, that's not my mom." You know, and was mortified the bus driver saw it and everything. And she went home and she told Shelly, she's like, oh my God, the kids saw her like running around in the yard. And she's like, oh, um, have some friends come over. And they had a hot tub and she like brought him out to the hot tub. And she's like, yeah, see here. And like she had burned like a hole by the hot tub saying like, yeah, there was a spark. You know, I had to run out of the hot tub and, you know, you probably saw me. Like, so she went into this elaborate lie. Oh my goodness. About this. Yes. And of course it was believed, though Sammy kind of knew better. On another occasion, Kathy had dissatisfied Shelly with her chores. Dave okay. dragged a na- naked Kathy from the garden and onto a slab of concrete. He was wearing steel-toed boots and listening to his wife's instruction, kicked Kathy in the head. Oh my goodness. So this is where part two of that comes in. I mean, of why she stayed. She had been drugged for a lot of it. Now she definitely had brain damage. Another time, Shelly pushed Kathy face down onto that concrete. Of course, Kathy was deteriorating and needed medical attention. When Shelly went to run errands at one point, she told Shane that he was in charge of Kathy and he needed to make sure that she didn't yell or cry out for anyone. Shane said, fuck this, and he planned to get Kathy out. Nikki knew that Kathy needed a doctor and she was getting weaker by the day. Her face was swollen. Her last few teeth were going to fall out. And Shane removed the padlock and swung open the door. 
Kathy remained motionless. She was afraid of Shane, though she had no reason to be when Shelly was not around. Kathy started to cry, battered and pale and bleeding. Her hair was nearly gone, and she had a thin, tattered muumuu and nothing else. She refused to run. Shane was beside himself, not understanding why Kathy didn't run when the door was open. They were kids. They had nowhere else to go, but she was a grown-up. But She was he too stayed broken there. down at this point. Right. After this incident, Shelly was on the sofa when she looked over in the kitchen and saw a Tupperware container with feces on the floor. Shelly ran to the kitchen and grabbed an appliance cord and immediately lashed Kathy with the cord. She kept at it, pulling Kathy's hair to drag her about the kitchen like Kathy was a rag doll. The fact that Shelly had revoked Kathy's bathroom privileges made no difference. When Dave came home, she told him what had happened and told him that it was time to waterboard her. He instructed What the f- what? She instructed her husband to build a seesaw device with a wide plank and Dave did it. He placed the bucket of water. And Dave was like, "Yeah, that makes sense." Yep. Dave placed a bucket of water at the end of the board and Shelly made Nikki and Shane stand to watch. Shelly brought a naked Kathy from the pump house. Shelly helping her walk because Kathy was already struggling to move. Dave put her face down on the plywood, pinning her down with duct tape. He lowered her face into the bucket of water. Shelly told Nikki to watch the road from the front deck, and Nikki went there immediately, not wanting to watch what was happening. Shane was then directed to watch and make sure that the family across the road didn't hear Kathy's screams. Sammy was positioned in the yard to stand watch. They could all hear their mother laughing at Kathy. Later, Shelly would characterize the waterboarding incident as a shower or a bath. What the fuck? And that only happened once, but it was horrific. Hey, Dave, what'd you do this weekend? Yeah, yeah, just some waterboard. Built a waterboarding device for my wife. What? We're not done yet, guys, for part one. I'm so sorry. This is a long one, but we're getting there. And part two is also a doozy. So, like I said, this is why there was a trigger warning. Aren't you guys happy you guys couldn't avoid the trigger warning? We, I still made you sit here and listen. That's tragic. How do you think I felt reading the book? I was sitting there and I, I was like... Have, I couldn't have finished it. I told Ken several times, I was like, we need to put something funny on. This was really tough. So Okay, here we go. We're going to keep going. Kathy was also fed rotten food from the refrigerator. No. And it was blended up and put in a kitty cup. On another... That was a very common thing. I'm going to cry again. Rotten food? Rotten food from the refrigerator. I thought you said that's unrealistic. What do you mean? Because isn't that how you debunked Ethan Winters? <laughs> You're absolutely right. Good callback. Wow. Thank you. That was five months ago callback. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So it was true. I should have waited until after this story and be like, oh, you know what triggered me? The rotten food. Rotten food. I would have had you longer. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> On another occasion, Shelly handed a cup of salt to Kathy and made her eat the salt. Just plain salt. Plain salt. By that time, Kathy could hardly stand on her own. Dave, meanwhile, was working nearly constantly. He was sleeping in his truck and sometimes sneaking back into the office and sleeping on the floor of his work after everyone left. He thought Shelly was doing everything and was doing more than her fair share while she demeaned him as a lousy provider and a weak man. She didn't do shit. Yeah, Yeah. correct. But he thought she was just doing the best. She was the best thing. She walked on water. No one seemed to notice what was going on at the farmhouse. Once, a neighbor called authorities complaining that horses were being neglected, but nothing was ever reported. Now, even as Kathy just sat wherever she was, her breathing was labored. She'd lost more than 100 pounds since she moved in. She hadn't been able to bathe in months or had indoor plumbing. Instead, she was hosed down with bleach straight from the bottle. However, as she got worse, there was one incident where they allowed her inside for a bath. 
She fell through the glass door, lacerating her abdomen and legs. After that, Kathy's health... Did she actually fall, or... She no, she a... fell. She, they were, like, trying to help her in, and she, she had no mm. muscle, no strength. After that, Kathy's health continued to deteriorate. Dave had been building an extension to the laundry room in the back of the house. Shelly set up a twin mattress with some pillows and, a, and blankets and let Kathy stay in her new bed. Sammy gave her one of Tori's toys, a small plastic telephone with two cords that snapped together. Kathy held the cords with bruised fingertips but couldn't manage to use the toy correctly, something a three-year-old could do with no problem, and she couldn't figure out how to connect the pieces. By then, all the children knew that there was something wrong with Kathy's brain. Oh, my God. One night, as Dave arrived home in July of 1994, he heard a sound coming from the laundry room, unlike any sound he'd ever heard. He walked in to find Kathy choking on her own vomit. She was struggling to breathe, mostly motionless, slumped over, and emitting pitiful noises. Dave managed to get her on her side and started to clear the vomit out of her mouth. It wasn't working, and she had gone still. He started to perform CPR, but nothing helped. He would later say, I uh, know I should have called 911, but with everything that had been going on, I didn't want the cops there. I didn't want Shell in trouble or the kids to go through that trauma. I didn't want this to ruin their lives or our family. I just freaked out. I really did. I don't know what to do. Hey, Dave. Fuck you. Piece of <laughs> shit. Yeah. What? So the, the thing is, there is absolutely no fucking question that they knew what they were doing was fucking wrong. He knew that this wasn't right. He didn't call 911 when this happened. Oh, it gets worse. Sorry, guys. Yeah, that's not... He, he's not just a dumbass. He's just a shitty fucking he's person. A sh- yeah. yeah, he's all of the above. Yeah. He managed to attempt the Heimlich maneuver, but nothing worked. Kathy was dead. When Shelly returned home and discovered Kathy's death, she had an exasperated and perplexed expression. It was as if she had no idea why Kathy might have died. The house was then in complete turmoil. The kids were hysterical and Shelly and Dave were crying too. Dave knew that he was going to have to get rid of the body. Shelly was at his side and told him what to do and how to do it. Dave would later recall that he burned Kathy's body during, quote, graveyard hours, unquote. He retrofitted a fire pit with sheets of heavy gauge tin and steel to hold the heat in as he started the blaze. So he obviously knew enough to know that it needed Mm -hmm. to burn hot. Dave and Shane carried Kathy's body to the fire and set her down and then piled more wood on top of her. It took more than five hours for Kathy's body to vanish. When morning came, Dave looked down at the ashen bone. When it cooled, he loaded some Home Depot buckets and drove to Washaway Beach, where he carried Kathy's remains to the ocean. I'm sure they love that product placement. Yeah, right? Home Depot, sponsor us. That's a bad joke. I'm sorry, guys. It's been a fucking tough week, okay? Shelly had a chore for Shane and Nikki a few days after the fire had cooled. She led them outside and handed them another Home Depot bucket. She told them that their father had burned some insulation in the burn pile, and she needed them to pick up the bits and pieces and pick them up. So the bone, the roof. Shane found a lot of pieces and knew that they were fragments of bone. He found melted jewelry, too, then gave the bucket to Shelly at the end of the day. She made Shane go back out to the burn pile again for the second and third time over the next few days. Shelly told the children that they would tell people that Kathy ran off with Rocky. She even had a photo of a woman standing outside of a semi-truck, which, if being told 
maybe could have been Kathy, but it might have looked just enough like her, but it wasn't mm-hmm. anything. Shelley forced Nikki to forge letters with Kathy's signature to make the Rocky tale more convincing. Shelley would later hand them off to her husband to mail to Kathy's family. She made him go all the way up to Canada to mail a card to Kathy's mom's house in South Bend. That is so fucked. Oh, wait. Did the family not find it suspicious that all of a sudden they were like, oh, Kathy's actually talking to us now. Hold on. Even though she'd made Nikki forge them and Dave mail them, she changed her mind about Kathy's mom actually receiving the messages and on one occasion instructed Dave to actually come back to South Bend and use the mailbox key that she'd taken from Kathy's belongings and steal the cards back from Kathy's mom before she read them. Oh my god. In case you guys were wondering, Dave fucking did it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just wasn't sure if you guys were like, maybe that was where I drew... No. No, no. That's just a felony, right? Mail theft. When she got the card back, Shelly put it in a Ziploc bag and squirreled it away. Then came the threats. She told Shane if he told anyone, they would tell him that he was the one who did everything, who killed her. Honestly, like, prison sounds pretty good. Better than this. Yeah. Shelly did decide to gauge whether Kathy's family would actually, like, look for her, and she wanted to call them to see what her reaction is. Um, Shelly said that Kay was abrupt and didn't want to speak to her daughter at all. So they had nothing to worry about. Kathy's family had disowned her, and they would be no threat. Oh, my God. But Shelly's paranoia didn't stop there. She needed to make sure that none of the neighbors heard anything. She forced Nikki and Shane to spend an entire summer spying on the neighbors. Nikki spent an entire summer in the neighbor's crawl space against the garage, looking up between the slits of the floorboards to ensure that they didn't say anything. She was forced to tail the family to a grocery store, the post office, the welfare office. Shelly forced Shane to steal the neighbor's food at times and put pepper spray on the door handles. What does the pepper spray on the door handles do? Terrorize them. She's fucked up, dude. Again, I don't think there's logic behind this woman. Shane knew that it was only a matter of time. He had to tell someone or run away, and both options were on the table. Shane wanted Nikki to come with him, but she just couldn't. With Kathy gone, Shelly ramped up the punishments on her two eldest children. And she was certain of one thing. Shane was going to tell. On one occasion, Dave came home and Shelly was so angry she was shaking. She was holding up bloody underwear and said that she found them in the woodshed and Shane must have hidden them there. He was abusing Tori. Dave had to do something about him. Shane denied everything. He would never hurt Tori. But Dave beat him that night, and the next morning, Shane renewed his vow to run away. Suddenly, in February of 1995, a few weeks after Nikki's 20th birthday, Shane was gone. Their mother was misty-eyed as she showed the girls a birdhouse that Shane had left her. He left her a note, too, saying, I love you, Mom. So did he actually leave? But Nikki knew Shane hated their mother. He would never have left her a gift. Shelly and the older girls got in the car and went on a brief excursion to look for Shane, but it was half-hearted. About a week later, Shelly took the family on a spur-of-the-moment vacation. She then told them that Shane had gone fishing on Kodiak Island. He called when they were away at school, and they just missed him. And she used that excuse often when right. she, whenever she spoke with him. But Shane would never return to the no-tech home. And that is where we'll leave off. Or part one of Surviving Jelly No Tech. No! I need to know the rest of the story. 
You can wait till next week, baby. No. So did he actually leave? I don't know. We'll find out. You do week. know. I know you know. I do know. I know. Do you trust me not to look it up? Yeah. Awful. Yeah. So that's the end of part one. Thanks for sitting through this, guys. It was fucking rough. And it's been a rough week just having read the book, learned it all, and now recounting it to you. It is appalling. It is disturbing. It is disgusting. She is a trash human being. And it gets worse because this is not the end. There is a whole other part. It gets worse? There's a whole other part. There's a Well, yeah, there can be more, but the fact that it gets worse, it's terrifying. Yeah, it's fucked. I think you guys will be shocked by what's to come. But uh, with that, how do you guys feel after part one? What's what's going on in those brains? I hope this bitch got nuked. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know. Like, it makes me go, it makes me think, like, what is wrong with... And it fucked Dave. People in society, yes. Fuck Dave. I almost, I almost hate Dave more than her. Because I, don't, I don't know why, but... He's kind of the muscle. Because he's complacent. Right? Like, mm-hmm. And he's... Yeah. 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 I don't know. Makes me not trust anyone. It's true. And unfortunately, Ken, you should know, Emily actually knows the end of this story. So she kind of knows how it's gonna, the ending sentence. What? what? How do you know the ending sentence? Did you skip ahead and read the last sentence of the book? She was with me when I was reading the book. The last sentence? No, like, yeah, how it ends, basically. She knows how it ends. But you're gonna make me wait. Yep. We need someone to be surprised. Consolation. Don't know. That's hinting. I don't. I don't want hints. Either tell me or just don't <laughs> say tell me anything. <laughs> I wish I didn't know any of this. Actually, it was appalling. Part two is just as bad. So that's my warning. If you guys struggled through this one, don't feel like you have to listen to part two. I mean, okay. Unless you're really curious. <laughs> right. I'm gonna get Emily and Ken are like perfect. We're actually out next so week. Bad. PTO submission. Awful. You've never made me cry in the pod before. I know. This is a first. Here we are. And you're a, you're usually a Crier. Well. Well. <laughs> well, le- Emily's our leaky, fa- leaky faucet. Emily trying to play the badass right now. Yeah, I don't she- think it's going over too well. <laughs> Emily's usually our leaky faucet, but yeah, it's fucking tough, dude. And I'm leaving out so much of the story. If you guys are interested, read the book. I mean, I'm covering a lot of this stuff, but there is so much more in this book that I'm not even touching. And I'm trying to be as honest, like, in blunt as i can about it but there's just it's a whole book's worth of stuff i can only do so much it's It's just appalling it's scary so scary so with that being said tune in next week for part two uh we hope you keep listening we hope that you made it through this episode and you made it this far and go laugh go watch something funny on tv and hug the people you love and keep listening and remember to be a little spooky a little scary and a little skeptical. Bye. See ya. Peace. I know. Fuck her, right? That bitch. everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Our sources are linked in this episode's description. You can find us on Instagram at Spooky Scary Skeptical Podcast. Email us at Spooky Scary Skeptical Podcast at gmail.com. TikTok at Spooky Scary Skeptical Pod. And you can follow us on Patreon at Spooky Scary Skeptical Podcast. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a five-star review. It means so much to us. Love a spooky girl, a scary girl, and a skeptical guy. Bitches ain't shit and they ain't saying nothing. A hundred motherfuckers can't tell me nothing. I bees in the trap. Be- bees in the trap. This is happening at the, the end trap. of the episode. Be- bees in the trap. No, you can't. This shit is happening at no. the end of the episode. Yeah, we're cutting it and putting it at the end. It's all over my TikTok. I have never heard Samuel- this sound in my life. First of all, it's Nicki Minaj. Second of all, it's Samuel L. Ja- Jackson in a pink wig. And he sings it backwards and he goes, Wait, how did I start? <laughs> Bitches ain't shit, and they ain't saying nothing. A hundred motherfuckers can't tell me nothing. Then he turns around and big wig. A bee's in the trap. Bee, bee's no. in the trap. <laughs> He's so serious. And the wig, like, flips perfectly and cascades down his face. It's very amusing. Wow. That is not on my TikTok. We have different I'm sorry. pages. Where's your phone? There was something the other day where I told you about something on my TikTok, and you didn't have that sound. Do you remember what it was? Obviously not because no. But do you have the cat in the hat guy on your Mike 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 Myers? Mike Myers in the cat in the hat, and he goes something something. He goes oh oh oh. He's like uh, oh she was um she was born with it or yeah honey she was born with it or something. Yes, Yes, that sounds on my TikTok all over mine. Did you not like cat in the hat? No, I love stress me out. Way too much happening. It was so funny. Way too much. Mike fun. Myers is funny. The best was him picking up the hoe, and he's like, get away from me, you dirty hoe. I'm just kidding, baby. I love you. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a hoe. <laughs> uh, pretty amusing. This is what happens when Ken abandons us on the pod. Name it Bees up. in the trap. Bees, bees in the trap. I don't know anything other than what you just sang. Okay, sing along huh? with me. Bees in... No. Bees in... Bitches... Bees... <laughs> 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 Okay, never mind. New game. Pick an artist for me to sing something by, and then I'll pick one for you. Uh, Lizzo. You love Lizzo. Why men great till they gotta be great? Woo! <laughs> Thank you for that. Okay. Bees. Now, oh, yours is. Oh, here comes Ken. Ugh, Ariana Grande. Oh, I thought you were. Okay. No, I'm not Ken. Uh, I was picturing. <laughs> Thank you. Next. Thank you. Next. Okay, give me one. I hate her. <laughs> Maisie's favorite artist is the Crotch Goblin. Licking biscuits. Crotch Goblin. Ken, welcome back. Welcome. I, I, this, this is all going at the end of the episode. I've heard a lot. No, it's not going I don't end. even remember how I was going to finish my sentence. Oh, I know what I was telling you guys about.